And this is true of, of every age category. Polls show from teenagers to senior adults and everyone in between the impact of this loneliness. They're, they're massive to our hearts and our minds, even our bodies. In fact, the Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, called loneliness an epidemic. As studies have shown, loneliness causes a type of stress that leads and can lead to chronic inflammation and increased risk of, risk of heart disease, arthritis, and diabetes, so much so that they say that loneliness has the same effects of mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So many, even in our small town, are isolated and lonely. But loneliness is, is not only out there, it's in here. And it's not only in here, it's in here, inside of us. Every one of us finds ourselves often and occasionally lonely. So how are we to think well about loneliness? Is it normal? Is it something we should avoid at all costs? Does the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ equip us to address loneliness in our lives and in our community? Well, it's exactly what we're going to explore today from the gospel of John chapter 4. Today we are in the second week of a four-week series we are calling Finding Hope for Our Struggles. We're looking at four of the most common struggles that everyone faces. Last week we looked at the reality of our identity. And today we're looking at loneliness. Next week we'll look at the fear of man and then lastly doubt. And then we'll begin our new study in the book of Romans. So I want to start really by reading a, a large section of scripture in John chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. I know I've already used this today, but this has to be one of my absolute favorite encounters of the Lord Jesus Christ. I uh, am, am a little bit obsessed with it, I'll be honest. In fact, I even talked to Amy this week that I was going to preach from here, and she said, haven't you preached from there about three times already? And I said, absolutely, and uh, I'll probably do it three more times. I think I used it as a reference twice in Leviticus, once in 1 Thessalonians, and we went through it in John 4. It's just tremendous, and I hope you see why. I'm going to read from chapter 1 to verse 42, and I usually would invite you to stand at this time, but since it's a large section of Scripture, uh, you can remain seated, but stay engaged with me as we honor and revere God's Word. It says this, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, 
that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will gather or will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 25. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat, of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do you not say, There are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city, verse 39, believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures. Father, would you help us understand this word, be encouraged by it, And we trust, as your promise says, that you will make us more like your son as we grow encouraged today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in our reading, really what we see here is that the gospel is good news. In fact, it's good news that meets our deepest longing and sustains the lonely. I really want to look at this under three headings this morning. Uh, First, I want us to see the lonely and longing are pursued the first point of our sermon this morning, the lonely and longing are pursued. We see in this text, Jesus and his disciples were traveling and around noon in the sixth hour, they stopped at a well in Samaria. Jesus sent his disciples away to get some food. And so Jesus was alone as he rested there. As we read, he encountered a woman from Samaria in verse seven. He was, he was sitting at the well and this solitary woman approaches. Now, If we don't understand the culture of this day just a little bit, we're not going to really see what's going on in this woman's life. In in that day, the act of drawing water was done primarily by women. But because of the heat of the day, they typically did this in the morning or evening. 
it made more sense to either go early or later because many women would go. It was a shared well for the community, but it was also came a social time. It really did. Women would collect water and, water and they would gather relationally and, and speak to one another and it was an event. But, but here we find this woman coming at noon in the heat of the day intentionally choosing not to come when all the other women did, coming alone. See, this woman is isolated, lonely. But of course, loneliness is not unique to this woman. Loneliness, in all seriousness, is the reality of every single person. All of us will at times and in different ways experience loneliness. Sometimes loneliness comes by moving to a new place. We have many in our church who've moved to Florida within the last couple of years. And I would guess maybe within that period of time you've experienced or struggled with some loneliness. Sometimes loneliness comes with the changes of seasons, of life. Maybe the loneliness comes from leaving those high school years and venturing out into the adult world. Maybe you are first-time empty nesters who have had your life full of drop-offs and family adventures only to be stung by the pain of no longer having your children near. Sometimes the loneliness comes from the loss of a spouse or a friend or family member to death. Sometimes loneliness comes from our own sin. Sometimes loneliness may come from trying to be obedient to Christ, seeking to follow Him, and that causes a shift in former relationships. There are so many other reasons as as well, but this all is because when sin entered the world, all the way back with Adam and Eve, it impacted all human relationships that followed. Relational conflict is a reality that impacts our lives. Death takes those whom we love from us, and so we all feel this weighty impact of loneliness. Author Lydia Brownback says it this way. She says, single or married, young or old, man or woman, everyone experiences loneliness at various times and to varying degrees. No one is exempt. We were created for togetherness, which is why... Even before the fall, God declared that man's aloneness was not good. And immediately after his declaration, he created marriage. But marriage was never intended to be the ultimate, eternal remedy for loneliness. That's why the unmarried aren't doomed in this regard. God created human beings with a capacity for loneliness so that we would yearn for and find our all in him. Our loneliness points to something deeper than our relational loneliness, which is is very real, yes, but, but a yearning, a restless heart that comes from living apart from Jesus Christ is ultimately what it points towards. We, we are created in the image of God to live in fellowship with Him. And until we find ourselves in that relationship, there will always be a yearning that will go unsatisfied. Why? Because we are not yet home. And so this lonely, isolated woman, she approaches Jesus at the well, but, but notice who initiates the conversation here. Jesus speaks to her and he asks her for a drink. See, Jesus in his great love pursues this isolated, lonely woman. She didn't pursue him, but he pursued her. And friends, this is always how Jesus works. He is always the one pursuing sinners. In fact, the heart we see in Jesus is the heart of our God displayed. Psalm 68 describes our Father this way, a father of the fatherless, 
a defender of widows, is God in His holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. Here, Jesus, in order to encounter this woman, actually crosses several different barriers. She was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. There was a a real deep generational hatred between these two people. He was a woman and she was a man. It was not considered appropriate at that time, certainly for a Jewish man, to talk to a woman who was not his wife like that in public. She was also, as we'll see, a sinner. In the eyes of many, she was an exceptional sinner. Yet Jesus was eager to cross that barrier as well. We see the woman herself was surprised that Jesus was willing to cross those barriers to pursue her. And so she says to him in verse 9, she says, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She's wondering, what in the world is going on? It startled her that Jesus would pursue her. And in these actions, we see the lonely and the longing pursued. But secondly, we not only see the lonely and longing pursued, we also see the lonely and the longing satisfied. We see the lonely and the longing satisfied. As Jesus begins to speak to the woman, he uses this imagery to try and communicate a spiritual reality from what's around her. So he talks about water. Why does he talk about water? You can guess, because they're out of well, right? Jesus always does this. He uses a number of images to show the beauty and hope of what he was coming to do. Because here at a well, nothing made more sense than to talk about the true and living water. And so Jesus patiently shares with her, listens to her questions, responds. And at different times, we see very clearly that they are on two entirely different tracks, aren't they? She's talking about physical water. He's talking about spiritual water. It takes a while for them to get on the same page. But but what is the good news that Jesus was offering? Jesus was promising this woman true satisfaction, eternal satisfaction. And he describes this eternal satisfaction as living water. Look at verse 13 of your text. Put your eyes on the text with me and we'll read verses 13 through 14. Again, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Here we see very importantly that this this water, this living water, is in fact a gift from God. It is a gift. It's not water that can be earned. It can't be paid for through our religious devotion. It's a gift of grace. The water Jesus offers also completely satisfies. In fact, only this water can satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart. This living water is the gift of eternal life that only Jesus, the Messiah, can provide. And so this woman, she had come looking for something to satisfy her body, but there was a deeper need that she had, the satisfaction of her soul. In order to provide for her deepest need, though, Jesus also had to address her own search for satisfaction in this life. A search for up until now that had proven empty. Verse 16 tells us, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. She responds truthfully, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right, but you've had five husbands and the one you have is not your husband. So this woman is immediately stunned and she perceives that Jesus must be at least a prophet. So Jesus reveals that this is where this woman had been looking for satisfaction. 
looking to satisfy the deepest satisfactions of her heart through human relationships with or through men. Now, we don't know at all what has happened to her five husbands. Had some of them left her? Maybe she left them? Had she lost some of them to death? We don't know. But we do know she was now living with another man who was not her husband. And out of this care for the woman, Jesus confronts this deepest, most painful part of who she was. Her story is laid bare before him. It is opened. And listen, it's opened not to crush her but to bring healing and hope in that central area of struggle. For he wanted to call her away from that. And friends, this is, this is again what Jesus does. He challenges all these other things in our lives that we are looking to for satisfaction. Because we are created in the image of God, we are therefore, as we saw last week, created to worship Him. And there's this longing for a true satisfaction, but often we divert that longing. We give our hope to lesser things. This woman was searching for something to fill her lowly heart, but her need was deeper than any human relationships. And, And Jesus goes right there. Let me be clear. She did need human relationships, and so do we. But the point is, and what Jesus is revealing is her truest, deepest need was for a Savior. We're all prone to turn away from God and to seek satisfaction for our hearts to lesser things. Whether it be achievement or power, popularity, an accumulation of material things. Very often we we look to human relationships. Friendships, sometimes dating, sometimes marriage. We've, we've all done this at some points in our past. Perhaps many of us are, are doing this today. Our loneliness is real. Your longing for human connection is real. But hear me, church family, it is not your deepest need. Our need is much deeper. And this is what Christ has done. He has come near to provide satisfaction for that which is our deepest need. We, we often stay at the level only of our perceived need of human relationships. And we fail to see this greater need underneath. And so, if you're honest, I wonder where are you looking for satisfaction? Where are you looking to satisfy the loneliness of your life? Does it feel like you are spiritually thirsty? That you're searching for a drink and maybe you even find something that feels like it would satisfy, but it's never enough to satisfy the truest thirst of your soul. Well, Jesus came to provide this life-giving water that alone can provide eternal satisfaction. And he provided it through his sacrificial death. The sinless Son of God went to the cross in our place, taking the punishment we deserve, rising in triumphantly to now purchase and provide this free gift of salvation that addresses our deepest and truest need. And so let me encourage you, if if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're, we're so glad that you would join us. But I would ask you just to spend even a few moments here to explore this. I wonder, at, at the level of your heart, Do you know this thirst? Do you know this this longing for satisfaction? Have you been searching and found other substitutes unsatisfying? See, Jesus in his grace, he pursues this woman in this text, and this is how God works. He pursues us through his word today. And we hope one day, perhaps even today, 
that you would turn to Christ by faith and receive this free gift of salvation. So you see, the, longing, the lonely and the longing, excuse me, are pursued. The lonely and the longing are also satisfied. And then third, I want you to see this. The lonely and longing are empowered. The lonely and longing empowered. What happens in this woman's life after this encounter with Jesus is simply remarkable. Verse 28, I want you to notice this. Verse 28 starts this way. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Here she has come all this way to get water. She's brought her water pot. And now what does she do? She leaves it. Is she absent-minded? Has she forgotten it? No. But something greater has come along. Something that has completely shifted the priority of her day. Her preoccupation has changed. She came thirsty in need of physical water, but now her truest need was quenched by Jesus Christ. So her priorities now are reordered. And listen, this is exactly what happens when a person truly encounters Jesus Christ and knows this soul-satisfying, life-giving water. It changes who we are. It changes our priorities. And so this woman encounters Jesus, leaves her jar, and she goes. Why? What was so urgent now? She wants to go and tell others. Get this. Her urgency was not, let me now go be alone and think about this great conversation. Notice, she she knew a lot of people back in town who needed this good news. And so she urgently goes, and what does she say? She simply says, come and see this man. Look, I don't know everything there is about him, but come and see this one who has told me everything that I have done. Could he be the Christ, the, the Savior? She had tasted true living water. And evidently something was compelling enough from her invitation that people went. Many went out to hear Jesus. But just think about what's happening here. This woman had been avoiding people by going to the well at noon. She had likely lived a life marked as an outcast, perhaps marked by shame. Because of her story, she's avoiding people. But now look what she does after encountering Jesus. She she throws that aside. The shame couldn't stop her. Her story was not sufficient. Now she says, I'm going to tell all these other people who this one is that I have met. Verse 39 tells us, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. A woman who had been broken for years, marked by shame, but now God has changed her and he empowers her to go and tell this story. Now listen, we, we really don't see the rest of the story for this woman. We don't know what else happens in her life. But we do know what always, and I mean always, happens in the New Testament. And that is, Jesus always brings people who come to know him into community. There is no picture in the New Testament of some isolated, individualistic Christian. They are always, always brought into this new family in the church. 
And so today, today we, we want to think wisely about loneliness, about what it means and what Christ does in bringing us into this new community. And I, I would encourage us to be alert to the fact that in this life, we will never really finally be free from loneliness. Not fully. None of us. Why? Because our greatest longing is to be with our God forever. So until the last day, until either we die or Christ returns, we are not fully with Him. And so there will always be this this ache in our lives until we're finally home. Lydia Brownback, again, she says it this way. She says, ultimately, our less than perfect circumstances aren't the reason we are lonely. Our circumstances simply bring out the loneliness that's already there. It's there because right now, in this life, we aren't home yet. Loneliness won't be eradicated until we're finally at home in heaven, completely free from the presence of sin, both ours and that of others, and in the presence of the Lord. In Christ, we have hope in the face of the many sources of loneliness we will all face in this life. Sometimes, again, our sin makes us lonely, but guess what? Christ has paid the penalty for your sin. Sometimes our past sinfulness, we we know our own stories and we are often marked by shame in those stories. It, It paralyzes us at times and calls us to keep others at a distance. But because of the cross, your past does not define you any longer. No matter how dark and devastating it may be, in Christ you are new. Sometimes being unloved by others can make us lonely. But friend, in Christ we are perfectly Fully loved. Suffering in this world can at times isolate us. But church, our Savior knows suffering. Often broken relationships with with parents or children, even being abandoned, can fill us throughout our lives with the pain of loneliness. But oh, your heavenly Father, if you're a Christian, has promised He will never leave you nor forsake you. Christ endured the loneliness of being abandoned by even his closest disciples in order that he might rescue and redeem sinners like us. There is no greater gift than that, no greater love. So who better to comfort you in your loneliness than your Savior and King? Now, by the Spirit, the Comforter has come to dwell within us. He's with you wherever you go. The God who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, who in Christ said, I'm with you to the very end of the earth, is always with you. The Comforter is near. So as Christ saves sinners like us, He makes us new, transforms us, and then He brings us into His family in the local church. And it is here that we find new community. Not a perfect one. But we are a diverse group of people who are now family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And listen, when we say family, we mean family. I recognized something in my ministry not too long ago, actually. I I have an incredible family. Not only just the the five, four of my favorite humans that live with me, the five of us together, uh, but my parents, my grandparents, my in-laws. I'm surrounded by a wonderful biblical family. And I think coming into ministry, I brought this idea of a wonderful family uh, as a presupposition of what the church is supposed to be. But I recognized something very quickly, and that is not everyone has had a really good family life. 
There have been many in the church who have endured suffering at the hands of their family from the brokenness of this world. And so their presupposition when we say what a family means can often come with brokenness, difficulty understanding correction and rebuke in a healthy and biblical way. So church, let me qualify. When, when I say that we are a family, I mean that we're his family. That you and I, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and and no, we're not perfect, but we have the authority of God's word that lays out for us what a biblical family is supposed to be, and we together are striving towards that in faith and unity. That's what this covenant family provides. And so, let's think about that. It's this family where we seek to to serve one another, bear with one another, celebrate together, and mourn together, to teach one another, confront one another, confess sin to one another, to live together as family. And it's through this new family that God desires a beautiful display of His grace be held out to the world around us. So here's what I want to do. I I wish I'd put this in the outline. I jacked that up this week, so my bad. Um, But... If you've already folded up your outline, because we were done with the third point like quite some time ago, and you're thinking, well, this has got to come to a close soon. We're just going into the second half now. I'm just kidding. It's not that long. Um, but I do want to give you some practical application that I think would help. Because I want to ask, okay, that's the truth, right? If we're made new, we're brought in this covenant community, what are some things that we can do? A few final practical thoughts. Every church member's biggest fear is the pastor saying, in conclusion... Um, and then knowing he could go on forever after that. But think about this. One, I, I do just think well about loneliness. We've talked about this at length already. But, but think well about loneliness. Remember that our loneliness is pointing toward a deeper need that will never be completely free of it. And I, I think, I say that because I think if we begin to think we can find complete freedom from loneliness in this life, it will lead us to a lot of disillusionment and confusion. And, and also I would say this. You can write this one down to you. Don't compare your loneliness to others. I'm going to encourage you in that. We don't know what other people are going through. So to think that your loneliness is more or less significant, it just, it just won't serve us well. So don't compare your loneliness to others. Also, we must all be aware of our temptation to be satisfied with substitutes. We are tempted to be satisfied with substitutes. We are tempted to fill our deepest need for Christ with other things and often with other relationships. And so we can even turn those relationships into idols, good relationships. We can often ask these relationships to do for us what only God can, asking a human relationship to satisfy our thirsty souls when only Christ can. And the result is we often crush good relationships because we're squeezing it so tightly to ask it to do what it could never do. Let me also encourage us in this. In in order to address loneliness, we need to move in. Just write down, move in. By moving in, that means putting down roots when possible in a local church community. And let me tell you, to do this takes time. There's no turbo button that you can push. It takes time to grow in community. And, And so move in, and in doing so, Open yourself up. Let people get to know you. Uh, The way that we do that here is through church membership. Uh, You witnessed one today. If if church membership is new to you, I would encourage you to schedule time with one of our two pastors here so we can talk through with you exactly what that means. Related to that, I'd also encourage you in this. 
Be discerning about moving or relocating. Listen, this can often be a right and godly choice. I want you to hear that. But I will say, I think sometimes we don't give much thought to the ramifications of moving. Why? Well, because in America there are churches everywhere. So we'll often go where the jobs are. It's what we say. But I'm not sure it's true. So, so what, if we just, what if we just turn that around and thought, whenever possible, I'm going to find a local church that I can put down roots in and then find a job near that church. Now, look, that's not always possible. There are, of course, legitimate reasons for moving. For many of you, I know your circumstances may even prohibit you from staying here. So please, when, when you're faced with that decision, don't remember this at all and feel shame. No, that's not what this is for. But as a pastor, I I do want to encourage you. I've seen it happen again and again where where people relocate and they have a really hard time in certain areas finding a local church. So so if a move does take you elsewhere, let me also encourage you in this. Relationships here, by God's grace, I pray continue. But if, if you must move, friends, this can't keep being your church. You need a church where you are. Move there. Keep those loving relationships that are here by God's grace, yes. But you must move on and join a church there. So, so let me encourage you to move in. But I also want you to write this one down. Let me encourage you to move towards. Not just move in, but move towards. Here's why I say that. It's, it's because it's very, very tempting for us to wait for others to come to us. But, but move towards others. Let's not wait. Unless you're one of those extroverts, by the way, that's always like, I'm always moving. If you're that, maybe just take a breath for a little while, right? Just calm down just a bit. Don't scare anybody. But, but let's move towards those particularly who are different than us. Make the most of these Sunday gatherings. Friends, this is a blessing what God has given us here in this local church. When, when you come, look up and look around. You, you never know what's going on with people around you. So I just ask you, how might you arrive at this place uh, intending to do good to others? By welcoming them, encouraging them, remembering their name and calling them by it. Sitting with someone, by inviting them to join you for coffee or a meal following the service. It can be so very tempting when we're lonely to only turn inward. Sometimes one of the best things that we can do is look away from ourselves and seek to engage and serve others. So move in, move towards. Also, write this one down, make room. Make room. Make room in your schedule. We are a busy people, aren't we? I think about my own relationships and some of my long-term friendships at time have, have weakened simply because of busyness and my own laziness. It, it takes practice. For old friendships that I intend to continue, I struggle to find the time. I think of myself too busy to make the phone call. And so make room in your schedule. Also make room in your life. Meaning gather others around your table in your home, big or small. Or take someone to a table elsewhere. We move in. We move towards. We make room. And then finally, real real finally this time. We also must move out. We live in this big, busy world, and the people around us, even in our own town, 
are desperate for community. Co-workers, fellow students, neighbors are lonely. They're looking for something and they actually don't even know often what they're looking for. Now, they have a deeper need for that and that is of course Christ as we've seen. But they don't need less than that. So so let us be a people that goes out into the community to invite people in and to be known and loved by Christ. Listen, church community is never perfect. It's not. Never will be. But you know what it is? It is peculiar, isn't it? If you've been a Christian and part of the local church for a long time, we often lose sight of just how odd, in a good way, the Christian community is. Some things you might normally experience or see happen in the church so many in our town have no access to. Things like someone to bring you a meal when you're suffering or when you've had a baby. Someone to celebrate with you, a wedding to mourn with you at a loss. People to come on moving day to help you carry stuff. People to visit you in the hospital. Often for for Christians, those things, they seem normal. But those are not common for many in our culture. As a Christian, we need to understand there are lonely people all around us. God has created his community, this life together in the church, to point to his goodness and grace. It is a a tool of spreading his kingdom in the local church. We live in an ever-increasing crowded but, but lonely county, marked by much longing. Christ has come to pursue us. To welcome us in. And so let us rest in that even as we long and are lonely. Let us also look out that we might love others in here and out there. So here's what I want to do today as a means of response. Maybe this water that Jesus offers is is new to you. We would love for you to know more about that during the time of our prayer. We'll have Deacon come down at the end of our service. I'll be down front and love to encourage you in that way. Maybe you're in the midst of the heavy weight of loneliness. Maybe you're one of our family members and we just we don't know that this has been a struggle for you. And we would love to, to pray for you and serve you in that as well. We invite you after our service to come down front and speak to someone. We're going to close a little bit different this week. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to, to spend time in silent prayer. Crying out to God to apply this sermon in areas that he would see fit. And then I'll lead us in a closing word of prayer. We'll sing and read the benediction and be dismissed. But let's do that now. Let's take some time to cry out the Lord and ask Him to apply this sermon to our hearts silently. Father, we're thankful that Jesus came to meet our deepest and truest need. Jesus, thank you that you endured loneliness, betrayal, isolation to rescue sinners like us. To reconcile us, to bring us in, adopted heirs to your throne as God's children now. Lord, I pray for all who are Christians today that our hearts would be refreshed by that good news. What stunning love you have for your children. 
Pray that we would rest in the promise that you are always with us by your spirit. Lord, we ask that you would grow us as a church community as we seek to love one another, bear with one another, walk together. Would you open our eyes to see the lonely people around us who are longing? Empower us this week to see and help meet needs. I pray today for some who are here who have perhaps been seeking to satisfy the thirst of their own heart in other ways. But I pray that they would see satisfaction as available, but it's only available in Christ. Would they turn and receive this free gift? Lord Jesus, thank you that you pursue us in our longing and in our loneliness. We ask all this in your precious Son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing this hymn of response together?